Well, hey, we're glad to have you with us tonight. Um, if you didn't hear Lyle, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here. It's an honor to have you here. And as we begin, um, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 4 eventually. We're going to get there. Uh, or you can pull out your phone and use uh, Uversion, which is a free Bible app. You just go to events, type in Element City Church. You can find all of our notes and everything we're going to be looking at tonight. If you're cold, uh, I hope you got to know the person next to you. They can give you a hug uh, every so often. But we're glad you're here. Welcome to monsoon season where it's hot and cold and all that kind of stuff. So, um, we are glad to have you here. We've been in this series called Emotion Pictures, looking at the different emotions that we all have. Um, how many of you would describe yourself as emotional? Okay, I would describe myself as that. How many of you would say, okay, I'm a little more stoic? See, you didn't even raise your hand. <laughs> See, you, you don't even play this game. Um, and maybe that's you. And the reality is we're all wired a little bit differently when it comes to emotions. But the truth is we all have emotions, and we're all emotional beings. We've been, been created this way. In fact, we've been leaning into the psalm, uh, Psalm 139, and said, hey, this is a psalm that David wrote that talks about uh, the specifics of who you are and how God's wired you, how intently he knows you, and how he knits you together. And so the way you've been created, the way you've been knit together is on purpose and with significance, and you're wired differently than I am, and you're wired differently than the person next to you, and that's okay. It has a specific reason to it, and God has a plan for that. But it's also understanding that we have to deal with our emotions. And uh, I told you about the book by Peter Scazzaro called The um, Emotionally Healthy uh, or Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, looking at this idea that um, we can't grow to be spiritually kind of mature if we don't grow also to be emotionally mature. That they, are, they become each other's ceilings. They're not the same thing, but they can hinder our spiritual growth if we don't grow up emotionally mature. And so every one of us is at a different stage of that. You'll have different seasons where you grow through that. Uh, if you remember back to your childhood, um, you needed to grow through that, right? And so there's this growth pattern that we have to have in there. And tonight, uh, I want us to continue this journey of, okay, how do we continue to be spiritually mature, emotionally mature, and looking at this emotion of fear? And so this emotion of fear we're going to look at tonight, and I, I thought it might be kind of fun uh, to begin this kind of looking at different phobias. In fact, if we have the picture, I, know, I just want to point this out because Micah modeled so well for this. I just, I, it's a one-eyed fear thing. I don't know. Um, but like, it's so great. And so, uh, but how many of you have ever heard of phobias? Anyone ever done any, maybe you have some phobias, um, maybe like, cold phobia. You're just allergic to cold, and so you're struggling right now. But uh, I want to just put up a list here. This is a little game you're going to play with the people right next to you, and you try to guess the phobia, the fear of some of these, okay? So the very first one, claustrophobia. Anyone know what that is? Okay, I started off softball, like right over the plate. Okay, this is really easy. This is what? The fear of tight places, small spaces. So like, uh, how many of you like legitimately that's you? Like you have that fear. That's why you're in a row by yourself. Okay. Uh, so like you, maybe you have that fear. Like don't go to Central Asia. Okay. I didn't have that fear until I got there and rode the subways and just realized these people don't believe in personal space. Uh, and so claustrophobia is maybe that acrophobia. That's arachnophobia. Those of you are, okay. Uh, <coughs> arachnophobia. Okay, acrophobia, the fear of heights. 5% of people say they struggle with that. Some of you are like, yes, that's me. It's awesome. Thanks for pointing that out. Okay, um, 
I can't even pronounce legrophobia. If you can pronounce this better than me, you shout it. Uh, legrophobia? Okay, that one. Uh, what is that? Anyone know? The fear of loud noises. Ooh. Okay, there you go. Okay. Um, now this last one. Anyone, give it a shot. This is why I'm not a sportscaster, because I'd have to, like, announce to people from Europe, and I can't. Yeah, that one. What is that the fear of? Anyone know? Uh, anyone in school? That would be the fear of school. So you should memorize that one uh, and tell your teacher you're suffering and maybe get a note home um, with that. Okay, next one. Next list here. We'll just roll on with a few more. Uh, chronophobia. Fear of the future. Yes, close. Here, time. Fear of the future. Um, Colophobia. Yeah. Anyone know? Everyone should have this fear. The fear of clowns. The fear of clowns. The fear of clowns. You should... Anyone want to admit right now, yes, I now have that fear. A fear of clowns. Okay. Uh, Poganophobia. I don't know how to... I just said it really fast and it sounds better. Um, Is Dan still in here? It's the fear of beards. Just... In case you, I, I don't know if anyone had it. Um, okay, uh, that one. Um, omphalophobia? Okay, that close enough? The fear of belly buttons. Okay, all right. And the last list we've got tonight, the last list. Yeah, lipidos, something. Don't wear speedos, something. Um, the fear of butterflies. Really? Really? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you struggle with libidophobia. Yeah. That's weird, by the way. Okay. Um, okay, next one. Elect- electrophobia. That sounds like a superhero. Uh, <coughs> anyone guess? The fear of chickens. The fear of chickens. I don't know. Okay, glossophobia. The fear of doing what I'm doing, public speaking. So some of you may have uh, glossophobia. And last, astrophobia, the fear of thunder lightning. So maybe later tonight you'll, you'll struggle with that in the monsoon season. So just some fun stuff around phobias. Obviously, there is a billion of these, and, and I'm actually convinced a lot of them are made up. But... Fear is a part of our life. It's part of um, just how we navigate life. In fact, uh, we've been looking at different clips from the the movie Inside Out, and I'll just show you this clip here from uh, Fear, and it's a little short clip. Has anyone ever seen this movie? You all seen it yet? This is a great movie talking about emotions, and here's a little starring role from Fear. That's so true, isn't it? Like when you're the new kid at school and you don't want to be called on. Uh, so fear is a part. And listen, um, we could talk about, you know, there's been famous sayings that we have nothing to fear but fear, or fear itself. And, and the reality is we can almost paint fear as this incredibly negative thing. And there is a negative side to fear. We'll look at that tonight. But there is some positive side to fear. There is a healthy side to fear. Uh, There's a healthy side to fear, just the way God made us in our emotions to recognize and kind of alert us to situations and scenarios that aren't the best for you and that you need to go. Like if you've ever been out camping in a bears, like around your tent, you should be fearful, okay? If you're not, like great that you're 
Daniel Boone or something, but just that you should be afraid, right? So there's a fierce side of this that's healthy that would keep us alert, keep us active, and that's why kind of your uh, emotions, when the fear gets triggered, kind of your senses kind of become heightened and alerted and everything's going. I remember as a kid, I still remember this, I was probably nine years old walking home from baseball practice and I've got my bag and I'm walking down the road. I'm probably about a, a block and a half from my house and this car pulls up like next to me and the guy just says, hey, um, we've got these free bunnies. We're giving out free bunnies. Just come over here. And I'm like, that's weird. My mom told me about stranger danger. And so like I just kept walking and ignoring and then they got out of the car, right? And started walking toward me and what did I do? I didn't go look at the bunny. Let me tell you that. I took off and I ran all the way home. My heart was like pounding out of my chest. And I remember closing the door and seeing the car go down the same street. And I was like, holy crud. And I called my friend who's a police officer because everyone should have a friend who's a police officer. And I was like, I think this just happened. You did the right thing. All I can say, so fear has a healthy side to it, okay? It's why I don't climb up on the ladder to hang Christmas lights on the second level of our, our two-story house because I'm just, I'm old now, and I'm, I'm just afraid. Babe, I'm just afraid, babe. I don't want to do it. Please do it. Okay. Um, so, like, there's a healthy side of fear, right, that's in there. Um, <clears throat> I'm just using this as a therapy moment. Okay, so there's also not just the healthy side of fear, but there's also when we, when we look at fear from a biblical perspective, which we're going to look at tonight, um, it's important to take the caveat and kind of look at this phrase that you're going to read often in Scripture called the fear of the Lord. And you'll read that a lot in um, Proverbs. You'll read that a lot in Psalms. And it talks about this idea of being um, kind of having the fear of the Lord. And, and so what does that mean? Does that mean I have to cower in fear from God? Um, no, maybe a little bit yes. Uh, no in the sense that it's not this idea of I have to be afraid of God. And for some of you, you just need to hear that. Because I think you've maybe had circumstances or grown up or seen way too many movies and you just, you have this idea that just God's out to get people. And I, I can understand why sometimes he gets a bad rap that way. Um, but it's not this idea that I have to be coward or, or cower away in fear of God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. And it's this idea of living with a healthy awe a healthy respect of who God is and who you're not. Um, it's recognizing that God is really, really, really big and, and you're not, and I'm not. And sometimes in our culture, in our world, we, we kind of, well, let's just be honest, we get a little big for our britches in the sense that we think we're all that in a bag of chips. And, and the reality is, okay, compared to the creator of the heavens and the earth, who keeps the world spinning and everything moving and knows every star by name, okay, you're not that impressive, okay? Neither am I. Now, we may be impressive because you have great accomplishments and you have great character and you have great achievements, and that's awesome. And we should strive to be the best we can be. But in comparison to the creator of the heavens and the earth, we're just not all that. And so it's living with a proper perspective of reverence and awe of who God is and who I'm not. He's big, I'm little. And so if we live with that proper perspective, it helps us to live with a sense of awe of who God is. And so here's a verse from Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 says this, it's the fear of the Lord is the fountain of true knowledge. A fool despises wisdom and discipline. Psalm 34 says this, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. 
Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. So it's not this idea of I've got to be afraid of God, but I've got to live with this proper perspective and reverence of who God is and who I'm not. And I don't let myself get too big for that. So there's a healthy side of fear. There's the biblical side of fear, the fear of the Lord, and to live with that. And there's also kind of this unhealthy side of fear. Uh, this fear that, that takes us to places that in a lot of ways handicaps us, in a lot of ways holds us hostage at times where fears kind of grow out of this worry and it morphs into this unrealistic and kind of unconfirmed reality where things just kind of take on their whole new meaning that may or may not be true and anxiety and worry and stress and insecurity just kind of mount in our life and it seems what that's what's surrounding us. And if you find yourself there, then that's kind of the unhealthy side of fear, where we kind of take things, and fear can grow in and just blow up in a way that takes us to things that we don't even fully understand, and yet we're struggling with it. And, and we begin kind of putting in scenarios that may or not even be true. I think of David Page from England, who is rummaging around in a junkyard one day, and he grabs this piece of equipment, and he turns it, and he hears something engage, click into motion. And all of a sudden, this fear of, I've uncovered a bomb. And he's holding this, and poor Mr. Page is holding this, not wanting to move at all. And suddenly, I don't know if you've ever pictured yourself like, hey, I stumbled upon a bomb, and I picked it up, and now I've activated it in old crud. Um, and so this is David Page, right? And for hours, he's there, and he finally figures out a way to dial on his phone, and he calls just the operator, says, you've got to send help. I am trapped. I am going to be, I'm doomed. In fact, um, you send help, and in fact, would you, just, would you just take down this note? I'm going to leave kind of a note for my wife and my kids. I just, I want them to know what, how much I love them and all that kind of stuff. And finally, after a couple hours, the bomb squad gets there and, and they kind of get all situated and they kind of get the whole thing mapped out and they walk up to him and they kind of send in the robot and they're kind of talking to him and all that kind of stuff. And then like, it's so tense. And then all of a sudden, everything dissipates as they go, dude, um, you just have like an old car parked uh, from an old car from this junkyard. It's just a hydraulic fluid thing. And he's like, wait a minute, I've like spent three hours in thinking I'm going to blow myself up. And uh, poor Mr. Page had a rough day. Um, so this idea of fear can take you from something that's here, and all of a sudden it just zooms out and becomes so much bigger, and it may not even be true, but it's become emotionally true. Because that's what fear does. It has a way of, of kind of hijacking the situation. I wrote this, when you let fear run your life, it will ruin your life. If you let fear kind of run your life, it's going to ruin your life. See, destructive fear has a kind of fear that, that, that tracks us into believing, that trips us into believing that uh, beyond what's reasonable, that this world is a dangerous place. It's ominous. And it's whispering to us that you must never take risks. In fact, a dangerous side of fear, a destructive side of fear says, look, it's not worth it to take risks, so never stretch yourself. This whole idea, maybe even from a biblical perspective of following after Jesus, that's risky, so maybe just play it safe. See, that kind of fear, that destructive kind of fear, only ever sees risk. It never sees rewards. And so it constantly calls us to shrink back and to say, I'll just stay here and I'll live with this. This problem is, Jesus never said, hey, just hang out with me. You know what he said? 
come follow me. It's action-oriented. It's never to be a spiritual couch potato. You know what's interesting is when you study the scriptures, um, you know what the, the most common command in the Bible is? It's not to be more loving, though that is a huge part of what the scriptures say, for us to become a person who loves like Jesus. The greatest and most often given command in scriptures is what someone said, fear not. Lloyd Ogilvy wrote that there's 366 fear not verses in the Bible, one for every single day of the year, including leap year. Why did God, in his scriptures, say to his people, you fear not. You don't have to live in fear. I want you to follow me. So put your fear aside. Doesn't mean fear can't be listened to, but it doesn't have to dictate your life. Because here's what I think is true. Fear restricts the adventures of a godly faith. At the end of the day, fear will restrict the adventures of a godly faith. Uh, A.W. Tozer writes, Fear causes me to look around at my circumstances instead of up at my smiling Heavenly Father. That it's this idea that I get trapped into seeing only my circumstances around me that may have a lot of truth in them, but also may have some mistruth or some of my assumptions wrapped up in them. And if I just get stuck here, then I miss out on seeing the face of God and hearing his voice to say, follow me into this adventure. Follow me to where I'm calling you to go. So this idea of fear restricting the adventures of a godly faith, of a savior who says, you come follow me, not just sit down and let's just hang out here. There may be seasons of that, but it's this constant followership of Jesus, of chasing after him. See, pursuing your dreams and God's calling for your life will always mean facing your fears. But the greatest truth beyond even that is that you will never face them alone. God promises, Jesus said, I will be with you forever. See, fear causes me to look around here. And Jesus is saying, would you, would you just be captivated by me? And let me take care of some of this stuff. Let's work this out together. So in Mark chapter 4, there's this incredible short little passage that deals with fear that I, I just want to read and kind of unpack a little bit for us tonight and then draw a couple conclusions for us and then invite us into an experience uh, in our next worship song and communion that I hope will be life-giving to you. Uh, but Jesus has this encounter with his disciples at the end of Mark chapter 4, where they've had a busy day of ministry. And, and he says to them, he pulls them around, and he says, look, uh, we're going to go to the other side of the lake, right? So let's go over to the other side. They get in the boat. He falls asleep because he's exhausted of doing ministry all day. And then verse 35, here's where it picks up. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. A squall is just a storm at the Sea of Galilee right there. So the storm comes up. If you've ever been there, there's mountains kind of surrounding it. You could see how weather patterns could uh, kind of kick up this lake and, and cause some storms to be there. And uh, so here's what happens. Uh, they're nearly swamped as the waves are kind of continuing to come over this little boat, the disciples wake Jesus up. What is Jesus doing? He's taking a nap. 
He's got his head on a pillow, okay? So the disciples wake him up, and here's how they wake him up. Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Hey, hope your nap was good. Um, teacher, don't you care if we die? That's, that's, and maybe all kidding aside, have you ever felt like that? Because there may be moments where you felt like that. Like, uh, hey God, uh, I don't know if you've noticed my life right now. It's a wreck. Um, the waves are kind of like all around, and I don't care, did you not know uh, that I'm drowning here? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Three words. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. The, the word calm there in Greek is literally uh, like if you've ever been out on a lake where it's just glass, and there's not a ripple in there. So you go from this incredible storm where they're feeling like they're going to drown to like whew, eerie, right? Then he says to his disciples, or he responds to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Then they were terrified. And they ask each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? So Jesus has this encounter, right? And it's a moment, a moment like you've probably had, a moment like I've had, I know, where it's the storms of life are kind of, it's not just little, you know, bumpy, uh, it's like the storms of life. It's like the waves of life are kind of coming over your boat. And, And you've done everything you can to solve it, See, what you have to understand is there's a few of these guys who are like professional fishermen. It's what they do for a living, right? Um, some of them are tax collectors and, and other things, and, and they don't really have a whole lot of experience. So I'm sure they're looking at Peter, James, and John and be like, hey, you guys got this, because like, I collected taxes on land where like, there was no waves, okay? So I'm sure they're looking to them. But when you look to Peter, James, and John, and they're freaked out, that's not good news. That's not good news, right? Because as Matthew, you'd be looking at them going, okay, you guys got this. We're just, it's a storm. We're on the sea. Because here's what you have to understand in the New Testament times is that the sea was, was kind of understood in a Jewish context to be kind of the, uh, the entrance to the dark world. And so one day when they see Jesus walking on the water and they say it's a ghost, it's not because Jesus looked ghostly. It's because that was the understanding of the culture of that day is that this was kind of the doorway to the other world. And this is how things kind of worked, at least what they thought. And so in this moment, they're freaked out. Professional fishermen are having conniptions. They're throwing up over the side, and they're going, I don't understand. I don't know what to do. So this storm is actually not just a normal storm. This is a fierce little storm that's come up. And the waves are kicking over the boat, and maybe you've been there in life where emotionally things are kicking up and and stuff's kind of coming over the edges of the boat for you. And you don't know what to do. You've tried the little tips and tricks that you've had before and you've worked on it a little bit for yourself, but you're feeling really nervous. And what's at stake here? Well, the whole mission's at stake. The whole mission of Jesus. I'm like, these are Jesus's followers, right? He's gonna turn over his whole entire mission to whom? These people. And they're in trouble. So it's not just that they're a little stressed right here, but like the whole mission's in trouble right here, right? Everything could go the opposite way or the wrong way. Jesus, don't you understand what's at stake here? Have you ever thought that in your own life? Jesus, don't you understand 
what's going on here? Don't you understand what's at stake? I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a vulnerable time, isn't it? That there's nothing quite like feeling helpless and hopeless, powerless and vulnerable. To be struggling in your own journey because it's so counterculture to what we want. What we want is control. What we want is for things to be smooth. And they wake him up. Teacher, isn't that fascinating? Teacher. That's the word choice. Guy who has profound wisdom. Don't you understand? Don't you see? Don't you care that we're going to drown? In a mere matter of moments, Jesus changes their whole perspective of how to see him. He's not just a good teacher. He is something vastly more. He's not just a guy with good wisdom. Because a guy with good wisdom doesn't shut up a storm. And so they're terrified in this moment. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And Jesus gets up and he rebukes and he responds. He rebukes the storm. Almost speaking the same context of what you see in the story of Jonah. This storm that's even caused by some spiritual forces that are going on. And Jesus speaks to that, calls out and says, stop. And all of a sudden, it's as glass as you can see across the lake. And it's like it didn't even exist or wasn't even there before. Think about how weird that would be. And then it says the disciples are more terrified. Because teacher got up and God showed up. Because who controls storms? Not a good teacher, right? Not an influential person of wisdom. They don't control storms. Who's the one who controls storms? God. So imagine sitting in that boat after that happens and whispering to one another, professional fisher people. Uh, I've never seen that. <laughs> and what does the text say? They begin to question among themselves, who is this? that he can control winds and waves. Who is, who is this? I think light bulb moments were going on in that moment to say, um, Jesus, you, I don't even know how to get my arms around you right now. You are obviously way more than I've even given you credit for. And way more than I've been thinking. But they got to a point where maybe we get to a point and the interesting question you can ask yourself, if you just look through the story and picture yourself being there, is where have you lost confidence in Jesus? Where have you lost confidence in Jesus? Because that's where they were. They were at a place in a scenario, in a circumstance in life, where they feel like they had lost confidence in what Jesus could do. But what did Jesus say at the very beginning? Hey, we're going to go over to the other side. When the creator of the heavens and the earth says, we're going to go over to the other side, do you know where you're going to go? Over to the other side. He didn't say you're going to go around to the other side. You're going to go over to the other side. They didn't like the storm. Let's be honest. We don't like the storm. I don't like the storm. Do you? And so when storms come up in life, 
we have to trust the one who says, we're going to go over to the other side. I want you to follow me. And sometimes when God feels quiet and, and we don't hear him, we don't feel him, we don't sense him, and, and we're, we're screaming inside, don't you care that we're going to drown? God always shows up at the right time. His presence has never left us. What seems weird is to sometimes get confused that we think God speaks to the storm sometimes and he rebukes the storm. Sometimes we feel like he rebukes us. Can I just remind you the reason Jesus asked these questions is not to belittle these people. He doesn't ask questions to belittle you. Jesus is a teacher, a rabbinical teacher. You know how rabbinical teachers teach? They ask questions. And the reason they ask questions is to get to the deeper questions that are there. And the deeper questions that these guys are struggling with is, wow, um, I didn't know where my fear came from. My fear comes from this being out of control. My fear comes from not trusting the one who I'm supposed to be following. And so there's this invitation to say, look, the he who is in us is greater than the he who is in the world around us. And to live with that, that God's hold on you is stronger than your hold on him, and he has no intention of letting go. He has no intention of getting out of your boat. He's in your boat. As a follower of Jesus, he's committed to being with you. And when he says, we're going to go to the other side, guess what? You're going to go to the other side. Now, you may face storms along the way that you didn't plan, that you didn't want, you don't desire, but you are not alone. You are not alone. And we need to continue to remember that. We need to continue to be a people who says, um, in, in a way, God, would you, would you help me see who you are in a grander way as we go through this storm? I don't like it. I'm going to tell you I don't like it. I'd really like it to be a short storm, not a long storm. Like, you know, 20 minutes, not 20 hours. Can we do that, uh, God? I, I can ask those questions. But in the midst of that, I need to remind myself that fear can have a voice, but it can't have a vote. And, and I need to live with this perspective that says God's with me. That's the fresh revelation of the goodness and the greatness of God is what those disciples got in that moment. In the midst of their fear, they got to see this is not just a teacher. This is God. And when he says he's with you, he's with you. And you don't have to live in fear of, of doom and gloom of, of not, not having his presence with you. Now, circumstances may not always end out the way that you want. This isn't Disney. We don't all write a movie like that. But the reality is in the context, you are not alone. And that maybe uh, for the disciples, I wrote this, the fear and awe of Jesus and what he can do became greater than the fear and worry of their problems and what they threatened to do. And that that's what we need to lean into. That to have the fear and awe and respect of who Jesus is and all that he can do, to let that trump what all these different fears and all these kind of different anxieties and worries say, this is what I threatened to do. And so I, I need to let Jesus' voice be stronger than these other things. I need to let, our, let ourselves know that fear isn't something that has to capture. So someone sent me this quote this week. Uh, from uh, Paul David Tripp who said this, fear lives and rules in the hearts of a believer who has forgotten God's sovereign authority and powerful grace and that it is present with him always. See, fear begins to take over in our lives when we forget that God's sovereignty 
controls our life, is standing guard and watching over our life. And that doesn't mean bad things don't happen, and that doesn't mean fearful situations don't occur, but it means I'm not alone in those. I'm not abandoned in those. And I have the creator of the heavens and the earth who's walking with me. I am never alone. And so how do you deal with the fears of your life? Well, you lean into the hope of God. That's where you've got to begin to replace those feelings of fear with this presence of God. And you keep activating that in your life. That's why uh, it writes in the scriptures that perfect love casts out fear. That God's love can speak into your heart to say that fear doesn't have to reside there. It can stop by for a visit. That's why 2 Timothy says, For God has not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's what you have. And when we let unhealthy fear or destructive fear have more than a voice and they start getting a vote and a rule in our life, then we're the ones who have given up control. We're the ones who have said, I'm going to give fear more of a voice in my life than the love of God and his presence in us. And so here's the bottom line of what I wrote. Fear can have a voice in your life. It's not a, a thing to be avoided at all costs. But don't give it a vote or a rule over your life. That Reserve that for the one who deserves that, Jesus himself. And his presence with you is always with you. I love what Louis Giglio says this, worry and worship cannot exist in the same space. They, one will always displace the other. So choose worship. Worry and worship cannot coexist. They will always displace one another. So choose worship. And so in these next few minutes, here's what we're going to invite you to do. Maybe a little bit of an experience for you to have. Nah, fears are real. There's no way to avoid them. We can give them a voice, but let's not give them a vote and a rule in our lives. And so as we move toward a time of communion, uh, we're going to open that up. We do that every week around here. Uh, there's some space. There's some tables here in the middle and down front that for you to, to remember, for me to remember, to lean in, okay, I have a Savior who doesn't ditch out on me. You know how we know that? Because he went to the cross for you. And I don't know anybody that would go to the cross for you and then ditch you. Jesus said, I love you, and he proved it. And that's what we remember in communion. Uh, the shedding of his blood, the giving of his body, broken for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, but more than that, for the ever-present help with you now. That Jesus is with you. And so as you remember, as you take that body, that cracker, and you drink that juice, remembering his sacrifice for you, let this be a moment where you remember God is always with me, no matter what I face and every fear. And then this first song that we're going to sing, I just invite you uh, to maybe bring all those things that you've been carrying, that you're afraid of. Maybe it is a fear of the future, uh, of things that are coming, of things that you want to see unfold, but you don't know if they're truly going to unfold that way, and you just have this anxiety about it. Maybe it's a fear of something that you're battling right now that you didn't wish, you didn't want, it just kind of came at you and all of a sudden you've got to carry it. It's now part of your journey and you don't know what to do with it and you're afraid of it. But you're, you're afraid of, okay, I think I've got control over that and I think I understand how to do it but I don't know if I fully understand it yet. 
And maybe this is a moment for you to bring that fear and say, God, I'm gonna choose worship over worry. I'm gonna choose to, to, to remember that you're in my boat and that you have the power to rebuke and to calm down any storm in my life. And I wanna ride with you because you said we're gonna get to the other side. And so wherever that may be for you, think about the fears that you face and that you're carrying, that you're struggling or nipping at your heels. And in this song, I want to invite you just to bring that to God. And as you do that, to leave it with him. I think that's what the disciples learned that day, is that their fear, the safest place for their fear to be was not with them. It was with the one who was already in their boat. And to trust him with that. And so, Father, that's what we pray. That in these next few moments, as we remember you, Jesus, in communion, as we think about fears and how we deal with them in life. God, there's a healthy side of that. There's a biblical side of that. We want to grow in that. And God, these, this unhealthy side, this destructive side of fear, we don't want to be hindered by it. We want your love to cast out that fear. God, we want, we want to live with it, a spirit of strength and of power, not of timidity or fear. So as we remember your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, your life given to us to prove to us that we matter and that you love us. And now as we trust in you, no matter what scenarios, what storms come our way, we recognize that you're always in our boat and that you have the power to do what we can never do and that we can trust you with our fears. And so as we sing in a moment, May we leave our fears with you, Jesus. You're, you're better at carrying them than we are. And would you help us to live as people of hope with a forward focus, following after you. We ask that in Jesus' name.